What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Run the Damn Pod. I'm your host, Jordan. Joined this week by Darth Ramsey, not Darth Cowboy, still not with me, but my little pit pay is here with me recording. So we're going to get into all the college football action here in a second. Before we do, I'll tell you guys, as always, like, subscribe, follow me over at Run the Damn Blog on, or Run the Damn Pod on Twitter. Follow me at runtheblogcfb.com for my podcast updates. And then follow me on Twitter, or sorry, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Buzzsprout, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow so you don't miss a beat of all the college football action this year. Without further ado, going to get into it this week. Going to go through the game day prediction, that new segment that we've got going on. I'm going to go through my UGA breakdown. So as always, if you're not into the UGA deal, if you're not into the UGA breakdown, no big deal. Just fast forward a few minutes, and then we'll get into the rest of the world of college football with our game of the week, player of the week. Check out who and what I'm buying and selling. Hit some headlines for the week. We are going to dive into betting with Becker this week. Again, not gambling advice, just fun to do. And then going to hit my picks, see how I did last week, and check out my picks for this coming week, week three of college football. So, without further ado, part number one, game day prediction. 0 for 1 right now, I will say, nobody would have seen App State coming, the upset over Texas A&M, leads them into game day for the first time ever in Boone, North Carolina, as they take on Troy. I'm not mad about missing this one. If you guys remember, I picked the Texas A&M-Miami game. I still think that's probably the most entertaining game to watch on the week, but game day did a good thing by going to App State, going to Boone for the first time after an awesome upset win over Texas A&M. Love to see that. For next week, my pick for game day, I think they're going to go to Winston-Salem, North Carolina for a pivotal Clemson versus Wake Forest matchup. It's an ACC divisional game, and depending on how things go this weekend, it could very well decide the ACC Atlantic. Clemson looks a lot better this year. I think after a slow start against Georgia Tech, they've kicked it back into high gear. I think Wake Forest takes care of business this weekend, sets up a 3-0 matchup that, again, early in the season, could go ahead and decide the ACC divisional, uh, or sorry, the ACC Atlantic division. So, without further ado, getting into that UGA breakdown. Like I said, if you don't like the UGA stuff, fast forward a few minutes, no big deal. But gonna get into the breakdown over a thirty-three to nothing win over Samford. Jumping right into things, I thought this was a bit of an underwhelming pedestrian performance. A lot of you guys that kept up with me last year are gonna yell at me for this. I get it. A lot of the disappointment in this case really is self-imposed after I hype myself up all week after the Oregon win. That 49-3 win coming out guns a-blazing was amazing. I thought we graduated from some of this conservative, close-to-the-vest style of play, but I get it. It serves its purpose. You're playing Sanford. You don't want anybody hurt. You don't want to give away too much. I do get it. However, there are some reasonable critiques that I have before we get into the good. So... Number one, lack of sack production on defense. A lot of this, I get, comes down to scheme and teams scheming away from Georgia's elite pass rushers going with those quicker passes. But you do return your leading edge rushers from last season, your leading sack artists in Nolan Smith and Robert Beal. Neither one of them's gotten home this year. You have one sack all season from a true freshman. That came on Saturday. Michael Williams had a sack against Sanford, I think, in like the third or fourth quarter, garbage time, something like that. Pressure has been solid, but not great. So I will say, I grant you that sacks as a whole are a bit of an overblown statistic, but in this Georgia defense, with the players, the talent that you have, the returning production you have, you do expect to see more, and the pressure isn't even necessarily consistent. Again, I will concede 
Some of that has to do with teams scheming away from the deep pass, getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly, getting out on swing routes to running backs, things like that. But you do want to see some more production there. Number two, I think Georgia is having trouble early in the season establishing the run. You saw it a little bit heavier, I think, against Oregon, where Georgia rushed for only like 60, 70 yards, something like that. Again, Samford did pile up 120 yards rushing. Kendall Milton led the team with 85 yards, I think eight and a half yards per carry, something like that. So he looked really, really good. But as a whole, you're not seeing the dynamic run game that you've stuck or that you've come to expect from Georgia. To their credit, they stuck with it. Holes are opening. But again, it does not look as dynamic as in years past. I will say the running backs do look just as dynamic. Kenny McIntosh, dual threat out of the backfield. Kendall Milton really starting to pick up steam. But the running game as a whole, 32 carries, 120 yards against Samford, about four yards a carry. Not what you want to see out of your run game. Then this one goes back seasons, goal line trouble. Goal line trouble is back for Georgia. Red zone trouble has been back for Georgia. I thought we cured it against Oregon. Seven for seven in the red zone or seven for eight in the red zone. No, it's back. This has been a recurring theme as long as I've been a Georgia fan and before. Georgia can't finish drives at the goal line. This particular week against Samford, you get in the red zone four times and stall out leading to a field goal. Four field goals. That's not going to cut it in SEC play. For a team with an O-line that averages larger than the Atlanta Falcons offensive line, the most talented tight end room in college football history, not to mention a six foot seven, 275-pound tight end included in that room, and the school that proclaims itself RBU, that's kind of embarrassing. It needs to change. This goes back years. Like I said, there was that series. I think this was in the 2018 or 2019 cocktail party where Georgia was stacked up at the two-yard line and had eight plays to get in the end zone against Florida and couldn't do it. Sticks out in my mind to this day because I was sitting right there watching it. Georgia struggles in the red zone. And doing that against Samford, an FCS opponent, when, like I said, offensive line, best tight end room in history, RBU, figure out a way to punch it in the end zone. Sorry, but it does have to improve. So with those three critiques, I'll move on and I'll say, overall, a shutout win is a great thing. Both sides of the ball did look great at times. Offense looked efficient. Defense looked really solid. Still hasn't allowed a touchdown. Georgia does look like a complete team from top to bottom. So don't think I'm just being a Debbie Downer. Don't think I'm just crapping all over my team. We look like a complete team from top to bottom. Number one team in the country for a reason. There's nothing wrong with critiquing the negatives from your team and expecting more. I guarantee you, Kirby Smart, Stetson Bennett, everybody on that football team expects more. As a fan, I have the right to expect more as well. Just pointing out the things that I saw that think can be improved upon. That said, getting into best offensive player of the day for Georgia, it's got to be Stetson Bennett. It was an uninspired day on offense, but Stetson still is making his Heisman case two weeks into the season. 300 passing yards, pass touchdown, and a rushing touchdown. I think that brings him up to 668 passing yards on the season and four total touchdowns, I believe. I could be wrong on the count there, but great season so far from Stetson. Looked in control of the offense. Like I said, drive stalled out, but Stetson still looked good. Best defensive player of the day. Liked a lot of what I saw out of my, uh, Malachi Starks again. Liked a lot of what I saw out of Smile Munden, the sophomore linebacker. Um, I am going to go, though, an unconventional route. Give it a defensive tackle, Nazir Stackhouse. This may be a little bit of recency bias, but Nazir didn't fill up the stat sheet, 
but he recorded a huge tackle for loss and basically lived in the backfield the entire first quarter along with Jalen Carter. I feel like every time I watched a play break down on Sanford's side of the ball, Stackhouse, number 78, big defensive tackle, was in the backfield. He's an under-the-radar cog in the defensive line machine of Georgia. He's been there for a couple years now, hasn't established himself behind Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, but he showed his strength as a space-eating, run-stopping defensive tackle against Sanford. I'm really excited to see what he can do for the rest of the season. Again, a bit unconventional, but going with Nazir Stackhouse as my defensive player of the week. So that wraps up the Georgia segment. Welcome back to everybody who didn't want to tune into the Georgia segment, getting to some of the action from around the week or from around the rest of the NCAA from last week. Best game of the week. This one is so difficult for me last week I or this week. I thought week one was going to be the toughest of the season already. Week two might have done it for me. Bama versus Texas was an absolute defensive slugfest. Enjoyed the hell out of watching that game. Like I said, Appalachia State pulling off the upset in College Station in week two over Texas A&M. Unbelievable. Tennessee and Pitt duked it out into overtime. There were so many good games over the weekend, but BYU's two-overtime thriller win over Baylor takes the cake for me as game of the week. Baylor's kicker. I don't know if you guys watch this. It's late-night college football. I was up for it, but Baylor's kicker, or sorry, BYU's kicker missed the game-winning field goal on two separate occasions, only to force a double overtime. The offense comes through, takes it in overtime, and seals the deal. I'm a little bit bitter about this one because it did pick uh, Baylor to win, but unbelievable game to watch. It was an absolute battle for four quarters plus overtime. It was never a gimme. The game was never in anybody's hand. Late night games, I got to tell you, Pac-12 after dark's become a bit of a joke. Mountain West after dark always delivers. These night games continue to deliver. I love watching them. I love staying up and watching these late night games. And BYU over Baylor takes the cake for me as game of the week. Player of the week for me. Again, we're sticking with the ACC here, guys. ACC quarterbacks are just doing something these past couple of weeks, the first two weeks of the season. They're really hitting the spot. Sam Hartman from Wake is going to be my player of the week this season, or uh, week two. He was shelved for medical reasons, I think a blood clot, something like that, just a couple weeks before the season, given no timetable for his return. Honestly, it sounded pretty serious, like something that he may not even come back from. He had so much promise for his final season, shot down a huge blow to his NFL future and the kid's livelihood. I mean, blood clot issues are not a gimme. They're not a, they're, they can be a serious issues what I'm getting at here. So Sam Hartman on the table, like I said, shelved on the bench for a couple of weeks, non-football related issue, didn't know if he would come back, comes back in week two, throws for 300 yards and four touchdowns against a still terrible, I will grant you, but white-hot Vanderbilt team. Vanderbilt was playing with fire out of their ears. They looked like a good team. They hadn't had any real competition yet. I will say, you know, overinflated stats or whatever. Sam Hartman came out and played with his hair on fire. I love the story. I love the player. I hope he keeps it going. It was really cool to see him bounce back like that. So Sam Hartman from Wake Forest, quarterback, gets my player of the week with 300 yards and four touchdowns against Vanderbilt. So moving on from that. Who and what am I buying and selling this week? This week, I am buying the Big 12 to the SEC. This is maybe unexpected coming from me. If you know me, I'm not a big Texas, Oklahoma, Big 12 guy. I do a lot of shit talking on them. But if Saturday didn't convince you that the Big 12 Blue Bloods can hang in the SEC, I don't know what will. 
I'll grant you, not every game is going to look like that. And Texas does still have work to do. They're not back-back. But they took an NFL roster to the brink on Saturday and really should have beat them. Missed field goal, missed safety call, whatever you want to blame it on, really should have beat them. A team as talented as Oklahoma in the same situation probably wins that game, and it may not be that close. Bottom line here is Oklahoma and Texas, those programs are well-coached, well-funded, and can recruit at a high level. That's really all you need to compete in the SEC, and I think they'll be just fine. Other news that I'm buying, AP voters this week. I am a noted AP hater, but I think they finally got it right this week. It may, I, I have to preface this with it very well may not stay this way. It probably won't stay this way. But at this moment in time, Georgia is the best team in the country. Having them jump number one, Alabama, Alabama fall back to number two after struggling against Texas, I think was the right call. Make the case that Oregon was a little bit overrated when Georgia beat them 49 to three, but they didn't struggle with them to the tune of 20 to 19. So Georgia, I think right now, sitting in week two, best team in the country. I like them at number one over Alabama. I also appreciate on the flip side of that, the lack of a knee-jerk reaction for that close Bama loss and keeping them at number two ahead of Ohio State. A lot of times in the past, you would see a knee-jerk reaction, have Alabama lose or somebody lose a really close game and drop two or three spots. I think that's unnecessary. I will say Notre Dame's embarrassing loss to Marshall may have something to do with Alabama staying ahead of Ohio State, but I appreciate the lack of knee-jerk reaction keeping Bama at number two. For a group, like I said, that I'm a noted hater of and is prone to overreactions and controversy, I do finally think the AP got it right this time. Still think it's irrelevant. The college football playoff rankings are the only thing that matter at the end of the day, but it's all we have to grasp onto for now, so we're going to take it. So, narrative storylines, what am I selling this week? I am selling Bama slander, and I'm selling Bama slander hard. Alabama went on the road into one of the toughest stadiums in the country at 11 a.m. They played sloppy, undisciplined football for four full quarters. Their line crumbled faster than weak old cornbread, and their receivers couldn't buy separation. And yet Alabama still won. Any other team does that, Texas beats them by 30-plus points. Bama still won. Give them a break. They have the most talented team in the country. They have the reigning Heisman winner. They have the greatest coach of all time, who, by the way, Coach is better when he's mad after a close game. See Auburn game last year leading into SEC championship. Not to mention you have Tyler Harrell, the very talented Louisville transfer, and JoJo Earl, talented sophomore, who should be returning to that wide receiver core from injury sometime in the next few weeks and should provide a shot in the arm to the wide receiver core when they do return. It wasn't what we expected from Alabama. It wasn't what anybody wanted to see from Alabama. But Bama's still Bama. A close game does nothing to take away from how elite this football team is and how good they can be this year. Another group that I'm selling right now or individual, I'm having to eat my words a little bit on this one, but it's Marcus Freeman. I'm eating my crow here. I like the hire. I was a big Marcus Freeman guy. I think he got player buy-in. I think it was the right cultural hire. But after three straight losses to start his tenure, including this embarrassing upset and loss to Marshall over the weekend, Things look bleak in South Bend. He can turn the ship around, I will say. Kirby Smart damn near lost to Nichols in his first season. I don't think anybody remembers that. I don't want to remember that. But Kirby Smart damn near lost to Nichols in his first season and is now the defending national champion head coach running the best football team in the country. So Freeman can turn it around. He's got time. 
but he does have an uphill battle. He's not recruiting at the highest level. He's not coaching at the highest level, and he just lost Tyler Buckner for the rest of the season. Marcus Freeman's got an uphill battle. I'm selling. And, again, backtracking on this one, Anthony Newton, Prescott, Vince Young, Richardson is on the selling block. Everybody knows, buy high, sell low, right? It goes something like that. Well, that's what I did. I, I bought him last week, but in fairness, I did caution against the hype train when I bought Anthony Richardson last weekend. Now I'm selling. As I said last week, Richardson is the best running back on Florida's team. That's it. That's where it stops. He's the best running back on their team. Could he develop into a great dual threat quarterback along the lines of a Cam Newton, a Vince Young? Sure, he could absolutely develop into that. He has the tools. He has the prowess. Maybe he has the right coach. He could develop. But the unabashed coronation of the quarterback with three starts under his belt by the media was Utterly inexplicable. Didn't make any sense. His performance against Kentucky, I think right now, was much closer to his average than his performance against Utah. I'm really not sure you should expect the Utah performance over the Kentucky performance. He started, what, four or five games now? And 75-80% of his games have looked a whole lot more like his performance against Kentucky than they have against Utah. He's had one good game, and everybody was ready to crown him. As I said, Anthony Newton, Prescott, Vince Young, Richardson. Sick of it. I'm selling it. I'm selling the hype. Florida can still be a very good team. Anthony Richardson can still be a very good quarterback. But this may be the greatest heat check of all time in the history of college football, both for Richardson himself and more so for the media and for Billy Napier. Because everybody had crowned this kid. It's time for a heat check, guys. So that's who I'm buying and selling this week. I'm going to do a quick whip around now to the headlines from the week. Scott Frost out at Nebraska, about time. I've said this for two or three years now. Scott Frost ain't it, guys. It was time. They could have saved, I think, something like $7.5 million waiting till October 1st. But after you lose to Georgia Southern, why wait? Why save the money? Get them out of there. Name to watch here. I've already called my shot on this one, and I can't remember which media pundit it was that agreed with me, but Urban Meyer. I'm not saying he takes it, but that's the biggest head coach that I can think of on the market right now. Watch out for Meyer time in Nebraska. Second thing on the headlines this week, it does look like the commission or the playoff committee, whatever you want to call it, is angling for a 12-team playoff by 2024. I believe that would mean the 2024 regular season. Um, see how that goes. Again, kind of excited for those on-campus matchups between the lower seeds. Could be cool, but we'll get more into the playoff expansion talk as it gets a little bit closer. So, didn't get into this last week because it was week one. And week two, I'm still kind of cautioning against getting that deep into something like this. But I am going to go with my Heisman for my playoff picks. You guys want it. You know you need, I, I have to make these predictions at some point. I can't stall it that long. So we're two weeks in. My Heisman for again, this is just straight up over these past two weeks. I'm not projecting out or anything here. It's just based off past two week performances in no particular order because I still think it's too early to pick an order. I've got C.J. Stroud, I've got Stetson Bennett, I've got Caleb Williams, and I've got Bryce Young. That's my Heisman four. I would be shocked if two of those guys aren't in New York. Like I said, this is just based off of these past two weeks. It's not necessarily a projection, but I think two to three of those guys are almost locks at this point in the season, unless, you know, injuries start to take their toll. So that's my Heisman four right now. My playoff picks right now, again, two weeks into the season, not projecting out. My 
higher, I guess to a certain degree, you do have some projection involved in these playoff picks. But two weeks in, my playoff picks right now are Georgia, Ohio State, Southern Cal, and Bama. I do think that the Williams-Riley duo is here to stay. That team is back. Southern Cal, I think, should be the favorite to come out of the Pac-12. And I think provided that another conference cannibalizes itself, the Pac-12 does get back into into the uh, college football playoff. USC is the representative. I think as of right now, you can't really bet against two SEC teams in Georgia and Alabama making the playoff. But Georgia or Alabama, one is liable to trip up at some point in the season and kind of throw a wrench in that. And Ohio State right now, like I said, doesn't look that dominant, but they're easily one of the two, three best teams in the country. So, like I said, no particular order necessarily, but the playoff, the way I have it looking right now, I've got Georgia, Ohio State, Southern Cal, and Alabama. So, moving on from that, we're going to get into betting with Becker. 